The AMA Moving Medicine podcast highlights innovation and emerging issues that impact physicians and patients today. Hello, this is the American Medical Association's Moving Medicine video and podcast. Today, we're joined by Dr. Scott Pazichow, Assistant Professor of Emergency Medicine at Southern Illinois University in Springfield, Illinois, about getting rid of the stigma associated with physician mental health. I'm Todd Unger, AMA's Chief Experience Officer in Chicago. Thanks uh, so much for joining us, Dr. Pazichow. May was Mental Health Awareness Month, and while uh, physicians' mental health has been talked about certainly more and more during the past two and a half years, and good reason with everything uh, we've seen from the pandemic, uh, it's also, uh, we're seeing greater levels of physician burnout, depression, and suicide. And you've got a very personal story to tell uh, in this regard, which we're going to talk about over the next few minutes. And why don't we just start by talking a little bit about that story? And I think there's just kind of one moment that you can pinpoint when you realized that you yourself needed help. Yeah, uh, it's, it's great to be here. Um, and I really appreciate the opportunity to share this story. Um, so uh, this was my second year of residency. Um, I did my EM residency at Brown University um, in Providence, Rhode Island, and uh, had what I thought was a really good shift, came in the next day and got, I think, the question that every physician dreads, hey, you remember that patient from last night? Um, and turns out we had looked up the individual. I thought we admitted them uh, essentially for placement, you know, assistance with physical therapy and, and finding a, a safe care plan for them. Um, and they had actually died overnight on the floor. Um, and it was just a huge blow to me. It, it really impacted the rest of my day. I couldn't kind of shake that, that thought. Um, and at the time, anger was a lot of the way I was expressing emotion. Um, and so I left at the end of the day and driving home, found a road cone and uh, took out some of my frustration on that. The good thing is the car wasn't damaged. Um, nobody got hurt. I wasn't hurt. Um, and the hospital was, didn't care too much about the cone itself. They were more interested in what it indicated mm. and making sure that I got the help that I needed. Why do you um, think that this particular incident affected you so much? I have no idea still. Um, I think the reality is, uh, it, this idea that I was never going to be a good doctor, that was the story in my head had been building for a while. Second year, especially in emergency medicine, um, you know, it's a three to four year training program. Um, and so this is the time that you're really uh, taking care of patients independently more um, and, and getting a little bit more leeway to kind of make your own decisions um, in patient care. You're not getting the supervision you had in intern year. Um, and so as I was starting to do that, I was doing what every ER doc and every physician is doing, which is, you know, learning the practice, the art of medicine. Um, we had learned the science for five or six years, and now we're learning the art of how to actually deliver patient care. And that goes well sometimes and doesn't go as well other times. Um, and uh, I think a number of months of that pressure building kind of culminated in this event and, and this uh you know, cone incident. <laughs> Do you feel like maybe, you know, in retrospect that you had been kind of ignoring the signs of uh, what you probably classify uh, in the realization as burnout uh, over yeah. that course of time? 
yeah, a hundred percent. Looking back at it now, it's it's so much clearer, and, and I have a better understanding of of little things. The the silliness leaving um, who I am at home, which I think the people I work with will be surprised to hear me say, silliness is a part of my personality. But at home, it is. Um, I always have sarcasm, and when it's funny sarcasm, I think I'm in a good mental space. When it becomes more angry sarcasm that's when I'm not in not as good a mental space. And looking back, that had been building for a while. Um, and, and some of the people around me had noticed it. There was uh, an interpreter who, you know, we work with side by side and, and they're very tuned into language. Um, and so he had picked up on this well before even I was aware of it. Um, I guess we call that, that, uh, that cynicism, I guess maybe that's the word that I've heard. Yeah. Uh, that a lot of, yeah. Have. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, the, the cynicism um, definitely creeps in a lot more. Um, and, and I think some of that's normal. Um, there's always going to be rough days. Um, it's when the rough days start to outnumber the, the, the good days. Um, when the, the, the funny sarcasm starts to get outweighed by the cynicism. Um, and that just keeps building. And eventually it was not playing hockey and not... Um, not going camping and doing the things I enjoyed. And it felt like it was go to work, come home, uh, sleep for a little bit, go back to work. Um, and that cycle just kind of built and built and there was no outlet for it until I took it out on a road cone and then was able to kind of reset and recheck. I think, you know, what I've heard from a lot of physicians and uh, folks that are working in the, in the burnout and wellness space is doctors are famously bad about asking for help. And sometimes there are, are incentives uh, built into the structure to prevent them from doing that. What made you decide that it was time to change that for yourself? Um, I, I just kind of challenged that idea in my head. Um, so I, I had gotten to the point where, you know, my, my anger was sort of out of my control and that was the big red flag for me. Um, I had a wife that was really supportive, um, that had noticed these changes at home and, and was encouraging me to get help. And so that made it easy. Um, and then when I finally took that step of saying, okay, I need help, you know, I did something that, um, wasn't, uh, up to the level of uh, behavior that I would expect for myself. My program's response was, what can we do to help? They really made sure to, uh, allow me the autonomy to find the solutions for myself. And there were check-ins and, and making sure that things were progressing well. And, and if things didn't go as well, kind of reevaluating, does that, is that plan really working for you? Um, but they, they really left it in my court um, to, to take care of my mental health the way I needed to take care of it. Um, and my wife was incredibly supportive too. Dr. Pazichow, I think, you know, one of the reasons, uh, that people don't want to bring these up is because they're afraid they're not going to get the reception that you did from your residency program. And so that's fantastic news uh, that that's how they responded. I'm yeah. curious that other than the ways that you kind of just outlined, was there anything that kind of stood out in the way that they responded to you that was really meaningful? Yeah. So um, it really is just not approaching it with stigma. Um, and just being supportive of me as an individual um, in, in what I needed to go through. Um, there's a lot of stigma attached to this. And, and I think that's that's rooted in 
an older way of thinking about mental health uh, and, a, and a more traditional way. Um, and that has changed a lot with the work the AMA has done, a lot of other national specialty organizations and, and even individual hospitals and health systems have done to kind of break down those barriers. Most of us are practicing in an environment where uh, the mental health care that we seek, the, the depression treatments, the medications we might be taking um, are not gonna impact our ability to practice as much as I feared they would when I was in second year and starting this process. Um, and I think a lot of doctors fear that they will. And that doesn't mean we don't have work to do. I'm not trying to say our advocacy mission is done, um, but I, I, I don't want people to get lost in the advocacy work and forget that there, there's a lot of progress that's already been made. Um, and that you know it is now different than it was five or 10 years ago um, if you're going through this as a resident. Medicine doesn't stand still and neither do we. AMA members don't just keep up with medicine, they shape its future. Help move medicine, join the movement. Visit ama-assn.org slash moving medicine. So I follow you on social media and I've seen uh, your communications uh, about this journey. And I, I, I couldn't help but think because of uh, uh, different folks that I've talked to over the course of time that that must've been really hard to share. And I'm, I'm, I'm also curious about the reactions that you received um, from your, your circle? Like, were they surprised about your honesty and your frankness about this journey? And, you know, what kind of feedback did you get from them? Um, my wife and my therapist weren't. Um, they were a part of the plan from the beginning because um, I wanted to make sure I had, uh, you know, my, this is a part of my healing process is sharing the story. Um, so I had a couple of people who kind of knew and helped me craft it the entire time. Um, everyone that I've shared it with um, has had some varying level of surprise, um, but the, the biggest overlying emotion um, that I get from people is, is identifying with it and talking about how helpful it is. Um, there, there's a lot of doctors that are going through a similar situation that I went through and some of the details are different, but this is a story so many of us experience. Um, and so seeing somebody share that in a public space, somebody who's been involved in national leadership and is gonna to continue to be involved in, in national leadership and, and in advocacy work um, throughout the rest of my career. Um, I think seeing that that person has some struggles and challenges that they work through um, and that they were, were able to finish residency, that they're able to get a, a job as a core faculty at a residency program, they're an EMS medical director, um, that, that none of this stopped their career from happening has been um, is really empowering to a lot of people. I've had a few people reach out and say, seeing the article was enough to get them to start going to therapy. Um, I've had a number of people who said it just, it prevented them from needing therapy because as they started to show the signs, they, they were able to recognize that this is a part of the process and, and they should, you know, they could lean on their, their friends or their family. Um, and, and so just that normalization uh, for so many has been so powerful. And, and I'm glad that I could, uh, that I could share it and be a part of that. That's uh, a lot of impact. Um, and I was thinking, you know, to earlier in your discussion, when you said that you, you just had to kind of question the assumption that it wasn't okay to come forward and how great to be able to see not only uh, uh, how it benefited you, of course, uh, in getting through that part, but others who are, are in similar circumstance. 
I think a lot of people think that starting therapy uh, was going to be the hardest part, but you said uh, that if that wasn't the case for you, what did you find to be the hardest part? How did you deal with it? Um, and that's, it's actually something I remembered from uh, my med school psychiatric training um, was the, the first six weeks to eight weeks on SSRIs. And I think maybe the time frame is a little different, but with therapy, it's true as well. Things can get worse before they start to actually get better. Um, and so that was the case for me. I had no suicidal thoughts when I first started therapy. As we kind of dug into why I was angry and, and what was going on, that's when those thoughts started to show up. And that's when, you know, a supportive wife, a therapist who understood my situation um, and good safety planning was really important so that those thoughts didn't turn into actions as impulsive as it can be sometimes. Um, but it definitely got worse for a month or two. Uh, once I first started. Uh, and I think I had a similar, it took me three months to start medication. I had a similar experience when I first started the medication as well. Um, and so that's normal. Uh, it's, it's a big hurdle to get over to start the process. And I think it's important to realize that it can make things a little worse for a short period of time, but six months, a year later, you know, now I'm five years Every year, it surprises me how long it's been since I started that process. Uh, but now that I'm almost five years removed from it, uh, I absolutely would not be where I am without it. I'm so glad that I took the step to do it. What do you think needs to change uh, in order for more physicians uh, to recognize that they need help and not be afraid to ask for it? Um, I think more people having the experience that I had and sharing that experience is going to be great. Um, getting the other 25% of states that are still asking questions about mental health in a different way than they address physical health issues, uh, getting those four questions in line with the Federation of State Medical Board recommendation is key. Uh, and then having that filter down to the credentialing process. Uh, there are some hospitals where there are internal questions, once you've gotten the state licensure and you have the board certification, are too, still too focused on, have you ever had a mental health issue and not, has your mental health impacted your ability to practice, which is this, what they asked about physical health. Um, and so removing those barriers will communicate to doctors that this is okay for you to reach out for help. It makes you a stronger and a better uh, physician and a, and a provider of high quality health care and makes you more empathetic with your patients. Um, and, and that there is support from all sides to make sure that this help is out there and that people feel comfortable getting it. I think those getting rid of those barriers would be really key. Well, your story is really powerful and especially the combination of the courage that it takes uh, to talk about this openly and to help your colleagues. Uh, through your own experience and also the work that you're doing on the advocacy side uh, to really address what is a root problem here uh, in physicians getting the help they need. Uh, Dr. Passagello, this has been an amazing discussion. Uh, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, that's it for our segment. Um, if you or anyone that you know needs help, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is a hotline for people in crisis and for those looking to help someone else. Call 800-273-8255. We'll be back with another Moving Medicine video and podcast soon. In the meantime, you can find all our videos and podcasts at ama-assn.org slash podcasts. 
Thanks for joining us and please take care. This has been Moving Medicine, a podcast by the American Medical Association. Subscribe to other great AMA podcasts available wherever you listen to yours or visit ama-assn.org slash podcasts. I'm Todd Unger, and this is Moving Medicine.